Hello and welcome to another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Jantz and my guest today is Michael Hyatt, a leadership and personal development expert, author of the best-selling book Platform and former CEO of Thomas Nelson Publishers. So, Michael, thanks for joining me. Thanks, John. Appreciate you having me on. Oh, you bet. Well, we, we have a history uh, together, of course. Uh, uh, you know, Thomas Nelson was uh, was the pu- first publisher that uh, went out and said, "I think duct tape marketing is something we ought to publish." And uh, so, so you you were the CEO at the time. So I don't know how close you were to <laughs> to the titles that came in on a day to day basis. But uh, thank you for publishing duct tape marketing. Absolutely. It was a privilege to do so, and I'm, I'm just glad we were able to do that. Well, I, I like to tell people that uh, with the exclusion of John Maxwell, you know, I was, I was one of uh, uh, Thomas Nelson's you know, biggest business publisher, or business yes. authors. <laughs> we didn't do many business books, right. but we, did, we really tried to get behind them. Yeah, so. yeah. Um, so, so that actually, if my, my first question leads me to, uh, you know, you, you, in some ways, were on the other side of the desk, right, uh, as the right. publisher, and, and now you are a best-selling author and built your own platform, which is something that certainly uh, uh, you looked uh, for authors to do when you were promoting them. And so I, I'm a little curious, what was the impetus for that pretty significant change in, in your life and your business? Yeah, well, I'd had this dream for, I mean, honestly, decades to step out of my own and to really be a speaker and a writer and a coach and a consultant. But uh, the truth was, by the time uh, we met at Thomas Nelson, I had a pretty nice job. You know, I had all the perks and was making a lot of money. And, and so it became increasingly difficult to consider that. But I just got to the place, and now I'm just being really honest, I was just pretty much bored. Yeah. You know, I got into publishing because I love ideas and I love books. But by the time you get kicked upstairs to a CEO job, you know, a lot of that's about managing investors and working with banks and you know, administration and finance and a lot of stuff that, that wasn't what got me into the business. So I thought, you know what? It's now or never. And so I left in April of 2011, right before the company was acquired by uh, HarperCollins. Yeah, so you, your, your day now looks a lot different. I mean, it does. You, you get to do a lot of things that I think are your own choosing and a lot of fun. I mean, I think that's the, that's the dream of this idea of starting your own business, isn't it? Absolutely. You know, I wanted to have a lifestyle business where I could have my business fit my life and not the other way around. And I'd, I've done it the reverse yeah. and it's not that enjoyable. So it's, it's a lot more fun now to be more in control of my schedule. We're going to talk a lot today about this idea of setting goals. And I'm, you know, I, 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 I would suggest, I'm just making assumptions here, but I would suggest that uh, that idea of getting out, starting your own business, having it look like the way it looks like probably started with you setting some goals. Yeah, absolutely. I've been doing this now for a couple of decades where every time during this time of year when we naturally begin to think about, um, you know, the future, we move into the holidays. It's a time to reflect on what's happened over the past year. And as the calendar clicks over to the new year, 20, 000, or 2015 here in a few weeks, you know, it's a natural time to plan. And so for years, I took that uh, space after Christmas, but before New Year's, which in my industry was a dead week. Right. And I just used that to kind of assess where I was and start asking myself the question, what do I want to create this next year? You know, it's still pretty much a blank canvas. I could do whatever I want, but that space gave me the, the, the head space really to, to begin to think about what I wanted and to begin to create it. So it's been a practice for a couple of decades now. Well, and you know, it's interesting. I'm sure many of my listeners, uh, it, it's, you know, throughout history, people have taken this, okay, it's my New Year's resolutions. It's my time, you know, to plan. Um, and it's almost, 
you know, I think a lot of people realize the value in setting those objectives and, and certainly achieving them and staying focused on them. But it's almost become a joke, right? You set these yeah. New Year's resolutions, and by January 5th, you don't even remember what they were. I mean, um, so, you know, why, why do you think that's so? If so many people understand the value in it and do it, you know, why doesn't it work for them? Well, that's a great question. And you're absolutely right, because the research shows that 25 percent of the people who set New Year's resolutions abandon them within the first week. And actually, I think that research is a little skewed. I don't think people are being honest because I think more than abandoned them. Yeah, a lot of unreporting there. Exactly. <laughs> but uh, 60% abandon them within six months. But I think the biggest reason people fail at resolutions is because they confuse them with goals. And these are two very different things. First of all, goals are written. You know, resolutions often are not. You know, you may make a statement you know, to your family or to your friends that you're going to lose weight or you're going to get out of debt or whatever, but it usually doesn't go much further than that. But the research shows that just by writing your goals down increases the likelihood of you accomplishing them by 42%. And that's even if you don't review them again, but just setting it in motion, get it on paper, has a way of starting the process. And then goals have specific criteria and probably the most important one and this is not true of resolutions, but a goal has a by when date, or a deadline uh, that gives you that sense of urgency and that sense of focus that makes a lot of things happen that otherwise uh, don't happen. And then goals also require accountability. Resolutions don't. They're often just an aspiration or a dream. Yeah, and I, I, I think the, the other thing that I'm hearing you say is, is you know, a lot of specific, you know, detail, yes. exactly like rather than I'm, I want to do better this year. Uh, I want to increase my business by, you know, $100,000, 10%, you know, whatever, some really kind of tangible, um, peg, right? Absolutely. I mean, you know, you just take the, the most common goal that's set this time of year is a weight loss goal. Right. People come through Christmas, they've eaten more than they anticipated and now they're ready to shed a few pounds. And so they would say, lose weight. That's going to get you probably nowhere. You've got to make it more specific. And as, as you mentioned, John, you know, just something like putting a number on it can be hugely helpful. Like I'm going to lose 35 pounds and then add a by when date. I'm going to lose 35 pounds by, you know, June the 1st or whatever. I had one of my students in my best year ever course this last year use a, lose 100 pounds over this last year, which sounds like an enormous amount. I mean, it's basically a small child. Yeah. But, uh, but here's how he did it. He did it two pounds a week. So he harnessed the power of incremental change over time, but he set that intention. I want to lose 100 pounds. I want to do it by December the 31st, 2014, and he actually beat that. But he did it basically on a, on a program that, that you know, wasn't that massive, wasn't that big of an imposition, but he did, he did lose weight and he did exercise, but he just lost two pounds a week and he did that over the course of 50 weeks. Bam. There you are. Yeah, and I, I think you're hitting on a really, really key thing here. I think what where uh, a lot of people stumble is they may set a goal and then it's like, okay, there's no plan to achieve it necessarily, and realize that it, it is maybe a long term process, and that uh, you've you know, let's say your goal is I want to do. Uh, you know, I want to be able to do 50 push-ups every day or something. Uh, yeah. That then, it's, so then they go out and they do 50 push-ups one day, kill themselves and say, "Boy, that was hard. I'm never doing that again." Yeah. Uh, as opposed to, okay, I'm going to start doing one, uh, or yeah. I'm going to do two, or I'm going to do five, and and I think that that's a really key part of that, isn't it? Well, it is, and I, I think uh, one of the things I teach also in the course is that you've got to identify your next action step. Right. But I think people get get hung up on this because they come up with this elaborate planning process. And I refer to it as excessive planning. And I've seen this in the corporate world. You may have too, 
where, you know, as a part of the annual planning process, back when I was a divisional manager, I'd go to these corporate retreats. They'd take three days. There'd be about 75 of us. We'd bring in an outside facilitator, pay him a ton of money, come up with a beautiful plan, put it in a three-ring notebook, go back to our offices where we were inundated with email and mail and phone calls, put the plan on the shelf, and never look at it again. So to me, more important than that, which often becomes a, you know, that kind of excessive planning becomes a fast, uh, fancy way to procrastinate. More important than that is identifying the next action and getting yourself in motion. You know, it may just be that one push up, but what's the next most important thing you can do to advance toward that goal? Yeah, I know one of the things I work with a lot of small business owners, and and you're right. I mean, it's you know part of the challenge is overwhelm, and and when you're overwhelmed, sometimes you just do nothing. Um, right. And and one of the practices I've been using for a number of years is to, you know, there there are so many things I want to do, <laughs> as as objectives, uh, but the reality is I know that I can only accomplish so much, and and so we we typically try to hone in quarterly on just three priorities only. Mm. Um, and, and try to stay focused on achieving those rather than saying, okay, here's, here's this, like you said, you plan out all this stuff, but the reality is you're not going to get any of it done. And then I think there's this, this sort of sense of failure uh, yeah. because you didn't. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I really believe in the power of focus too. I, I tell people, tell my coaching clients and, and the people in the course that, you know, the ideal number of goals from my perspective for the year, not for the quarter, but for the year is seven to 10. I do like to spread those out uh, throughout the year so that I've got a specific focus that's the top two or three for that quarter because you really can't focus on more than that. Uh, there's this famous Chinese proverb that says, man who chases two rabbits catches neither. Yeah. And, you know, I don't, I don't think that means you've got to have one goal, although I identify even in my annual planning what uh, Shalene Johnson calls the push goal, you know, that mm-hmm. one goal mm-hmm. that if it's, if it's like a domino, if there's that one goal that if you were to push on it, and if it were to happen, it would make every single other thing on your goal list that much easier. So focus is so important. Well, that's a really interesting point, though, because I do think sometimes, sometimes I think we have a tendency to a goal to not set big enough goals. There's, there's sort of that dynamic challenge between okay, this thing is so big and audacious that I can't even really wrap my head around it, so it's just a joke, or is it this goal that's so big that says okay, if, I, if I'm going to actually achieve that, I'm going to have to change everything or I'm going to have to look at what I'm doing completely differently and that actually might be the impetus to get me to move. Yeah, that's so true. I, in fact, I, I posted on my blog this week at michaelhyatt.com sort of the scientific, what science has to teach us about goal setting. And there was this very um, interesting study that I, I stumbled on that said, you know, if you don't set your goals big enough, the likelihood of you actually achieving them goes down. And I, and I would think just the opposite. I mean, in, in the corporate world, everybody's always sandbagging, trying to yeah. you know, create a manageable goal that's still inside their comfort zone, but they can kind of see how they would accomplish it. But this research shows that that actually works against you. Why? Because it's not compelling enough. And if there's one thing we've got to have to make our goals work for us is they've got to be emotionally compelling. They've got to be something that we really want, not externally imposed, but something that we internally own and really can visualize, and it brings a pleasurable or a positive feeling when we do so. 
Yeah, you, you know what's really interesting, and I know in, in even my day-to-day, you know, when I get through my to-do list <laughs> in a day sometimes, there's a real sense of satisfaction. I've achieved that. Um, almost a, a, you know, I almost feel better at the end of the day if I've done that. And I think there's, um, there's really a lot of correlation between that idea of, of achieving goals and, and success and, and, and having control and, and the freedom that, that really creates, I think, a sense of, of that. To me, that is success and happiness. Well, it is to me too. And, and one of the things I discovered in doing the research for this is I, as I began to dig into it a little bit deeper, you know, I used to think that when I arrived at the goal, when I could check that goal off, um, and I'm, I'm an achiever, if you look at the strength finders test, so I love checking stuff off, but I used to think that's where my happiness would be found. So that, remember the first time I hit the New York Times mm-hmm. bestseller list, I thought, oh my gosh, if I, could, if I could do that, that's like the ultimate life achievement. You know, when I hit that, you know, I'm just going to kick back and be on the beach somewhere and just enjoy life. Well, what I found was that after I hit it, literally a few minutes after I hit it, I thought, wait a second, I don't feel as happy as I thought I would be. And what I found is that I had to reset another goal. And now I know why. It's because happiness really is about the journey. It's about making significant progress toward a goal that matters to you. So it's the progress the journey where the happiness is found, not in the arrival at the destination. And that's, that's why, John, from my perspective, that's why every year I try to go just a little bit more, add a little bit bigger goals. And I was having this discussion with a friend a couple weeks ago, and they said, well, when is enough enough? And I thought about that for a minute. And I said, well, honestly, never. You know, it's not about the money. Right. It's about my growth as a person. You know, the reason I want to double my business this next year and why I've done it every year for the last three years is because it requires something of me. I have to change. I have to grow. I have to develop new skills, new abilities if I'm going to do that. And if I were just to have a simple goal like, you know, I'm going to grow this by 3% this year. You know, honestly, that doesn't require uh, anything of me. It's not emotionally compelling. And there's a good chance I won't even hit that if I aim that low. Yeah, it probably only means you just have to work a couple extra hours more. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, as opposed to think differently about, you know, how you spend your spend your time. That's right. Yeah. Exactly right. Um, and I think that's I, I I think you see lots of examples. Uh, the, the the world and unfortunately television is littered with uh, uh, examples of people that 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 destination uh, anxiety you know really leads to some pretty unhealthy uh, choices and un, unhealthy living. Absolutely. So uh, I'd love to hear your opinion on this because I think people uh, tend to uh, go one way or another. I've heard both sides of this. When you set uh, set out your goals. You know, whatever they are for the year, um, should you share those publicly? I, obviously, there's some goals that maybe there would be one or two individuals that you might share that with. But what what role does that idea of of publicly or somehow stating to somebody else, "Here's what I plan to do"? This is a great question, and I, I'd love to get your response to this as well. But I used to go way public. In fact, I would publish my goals on my blog. But then I watched this uh, very famous. TED conference presentation that was done by Derek Silvers, who's the founder of CD Baby. And he gave an amazing talk on this very subject. And he basically said that when we tell other people about our goals, we get the same psychological satisfaction as if we had accomplished them. And the result is that we give up. And so he recommends keeping them to yourself. Now, my own position is that there's a middle uh, middle ground Uh, between going public and being private. There's another option, which I call selective sharing. So I only share my goals with, I, with people I want to, to hold me accountable. So people who believe in my ability to, ch- to achieve the goal, people that won't let me make excuses when I fail, 
and people, most importantly, that'll brainstorm with me on how to succeed. So selective sharing. Yeah, and I think everybody's probably experienced that that idea of, of being held accountable, uh, that, that you know if you told somebody you're going to do something, even if it's I'm going to meet you in two weeks, you know, you generally show up at that meeting and, and have what you said you were going to produce for that meeting. And so I think that everybody can ex- has experienced the pull that that knowing somebody else is counting on you or paying attention has. Yes, absolutely. There's just something about that, that that's helpful to us. You mentioned Derek uh, Sivers, who's also been on my, my show a couple times, and uh, he's going to speak. You and I spoke at WDS last year together out in Portland, and uh, D- uh, Derek is uh, a- actually uh, going to be at uh, w- WDS this year as a speaker. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. I mean, he's a great speaker, so yeah. compelling. Yeah. I think the video last I looked at had been viewed a couple million times. Uh, he's, he's, a, he's a really fun guy, too, and uh, his books are great reads. Um, so, so jumping back to uh, well, first off, actually, um, and, and I know we're going to uh, uh, finish with this, uh, uh, inviting people to to really consume some of your tremendous content around this program called Best Year Ever um, that uh, people can find and get those sign up for those free videos at uh, michaelhyatt.com/slash-duct-tape-marketing. Uh, we'll have it in the show notes as well. But I wonder if you could kind of give a, a, a quick sketch of what somebody can expect in that program. Yeah, well, I've got a couple things. One is the free videos, and this is uh, three free training videos, and you can find these at bestyearever.me slash duct tape marketing. And then also I've got the course. So in the free training videos, what I talk about is how do you set up 2015 for your best year ever? And I reveal four secrets that have been helpful to me and in the people I coach and the people I consult with. Then in the second video, I talk about the five characteristics of people who consistently get what they want. And this, again, comes from my observation, from my research. But there's five characteristics. The people that are succeeding at a higher level aren't smarter than you. They're not more experienced. They don't have greater education. They certainly don't have better luck. But they, they, do these, they have these five characteristics about them, and most of, most of them have to do with the way that they think. Then in the third video, I talk about a roadmap. How do you set out a roadmap? For 2015. And at that point, if you want to get my paid course, you can, which is called Five Days to Your Best Year Ever. And in that course, you know, I map it out basically if, if, if you'll give me five, uh, 45 minutes a day for five days in a row, or you could even do it in a, in a one four-hour session like a Saturday morning or something, then you'll have a very specific plan for next year. You'll be able to design a plan that would really be, if you complete it, your best year ever. So we walk through dealing with the past, how to set not just SMART goals, we've all heard that acronym, but SMARTER goals. I had some things that um, I think are critical. And then I talk about getting connected with your motivation. Why are these goals important to you? And what uh, what would it mean? What's at stake? What does it mean if you accomplish them? And I found that that is the part, the missing ingredient in so much traditional goal setting. Uh, It's what carries you through when you get to that point where we all get to and you want to quit. Yeah, I've been uh, I've been actually sharing uh, just even the free videos uh, with uh, a lot of my readers, and I will tell you, I'm getting uh, tremendous feedback and and Good. thanks actually <laughs> from them uh, for sharing because it is just obviously you have the paid course that goes uh, in depth, but even just uh, if somebody consumes those three videos, I think they're going to find a tremendous uh, takeaway. That's awesome! Great, thank you for doing that. So um, I have a uh, I want to go back to this idea of goals and um, in in the different areas and roles in your life because I think sometimes, particularly business owners, get very focused on 
objectives and goals for the coming year in their business. But, you know, most business owners, uh, I'll use myself as an example, I'm also a, a husband and a father and a son and, and uh, you know, all these other roles. And sometimes it's, uh, it's easy, I think, unless you are focused on them setting goals uh, around being better at that or, you know, or paying attention, you know, to those other roles. And um, I, you know, for, for years now, I, you know, on Sunday night, um, I, I have this list of roles and I try to pick something that I'm going to do, some action I'm going to take in each of those roles. It's, it's probably not the same as goal setting, but I, um, I think it helps me achieve the ultimate goal of being a better father, son, uh, you know, business owner, employer, all those things. Well, it's so important, I think, to do all those because the truth is most of us today, and this wasn't true when I was coming up through the ranks where everybody was just focused on their career, but I think today people want to succeed at business, but they want to win at life. And the only way you're going to win at life is if you consider what I call the seven major areas of life, which are faith, fitness, family, friends, vocation. It's the only non-F word in this bunch. And then finances and fun. So I try to have goals in all those areas because they're all interrelated. Yeah. You know, if I'm, if I'm working too much, that's going to have a consequence in my marriage. And I've been married 36 years and I love my wife and I don't want to jeopardize that relationship. By the same token... Um, if you've got problems at home, it's probably going to back up into your business. Mm-hmm. Or if you have health problems, if you go through a health crisis, yep. man, nothing will crush your small business faster than for the principal to be taken out of the business. Yep. So I think you've got to set goals in all these areas so that you have a balanced life and so that you can be successful in all of them. You just you no longer can succeed at one at the expense of others, or at least you can't do it for a sustained period of time. So let's uh, let's wrap up uh, on, on maybe you giving uh, some tips in one specific area. And again, we're we're talking with Michael Hyatt about the best year ever uh, program that he's produced. That you can find at michaelhyatt.com forward slash duct tape marketing. And there's some some tremendous uh, content there to uh, consume and to to go deeper into. Uh, but I'd like I'd, I'd like if you could leave us with maybe a couple tips for staying on course and and reaching your goals so it's it's obviously you've got to set these you've got they've got to be realistic they've got to have all the things that we talked about but uh, but then life happens (laughs) so so what are some of your tips for for maybe maintaining the pace that you need well let me leave you with two i would say first of all you've got to keep your goals visible you know you can't put them up on the shelf you can't file them away you can't think okay i did that and i'm going to forget about it so this can take a lot of, lot of uh, forms. I know some people that create a vision board and have that in a place where they see it every day. I know other people, and I do this, I'm looking at uh, my goals for this year that are framed and on the wall. Um, I also have them in Evernote so that I've always got them with me. And Evernote's a software package that allows me to kind of make my, take my digital brain with me everywhere. Yep. So I have my goals framed up there. And I'm reviewing those at least once a week. And at the first part of the year, I'm doing it every day. So keep them visible is a huge tip. Second tip I would give, John, is realize that when it looks like you're not going to accomplish a goal, that you've got more options than two, you know, which is, okay, I'm just going to grind through this or I'm going to give up and walk off the field before the whistle blows. And I think there are at least three options. You could either uh, recommit to the goal, you can revise it, or you can remove it altogether. And I like to do it in that order. If I can possibly recommit uh, commit to it, and re-engage my emotion in that so I realize, again, what's at stake. And this is why it's so important at the front end to identify those motivations. But if I can recommit to it, that's my first preference. 
Sometimes, though, it just doesn't make sense. I remember one time in the corporate world, we were going to buy a company. It was on our goal list for the next year. But after we did our due diligence, it no longer made sense. So, you know, we revised that goal and said, let's get into a distribution agreement with these guys instead of a full-blown uh, acquisition. So revision is another option. And then sometimes just remove the goal. It just doesn't make sense. Maybe you had a, a major transition during the year where it no longer makes sense to do that. Uh, or, or it made sense at the beginning, but now it doesn't, whatever, you can remove it. You're the architect of your own future. So you get to make the choices, but know that you have more options. And I don't care which one you make as long as it's intentional. Yeah, that's, uh, that's great advice, too, because I do think there's a lot of stress around people saying, well, this is what we said we were going to do. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. you know, even if, even if, as you said, it clearly no longer makes sense. So, well, Michael, thanks so much for joining me. Uh, great uh, to, to catch up with you and certainly, uh, um, you know, encourage people to, to go and consume that uh, tremendous content and get 2015 off to not just a start, but uh, to, to really uh, a way for you to achieve uh, your goals and objectives for the entire year. So, Hopefully we'll see you out there on the road, Michael. Great. I hope so. Thanks, John.